0: Hello and welcome to the 14th episode of the Melbourne Adverse User Group Podcast. My name is Arjen Svart and I'm your host today. Before we begin, let me apologize for the extremely late release of episode 13. I was just really busy and didn't have time to do the editing until it was, well, super late. I really hope that I'll do better with this episode, but I guess, well, when you listen to it, you will find out if that's the case. However, let's look forward instead by looking back at the announcements of April 2021. And as you probably guessed, for that, I'm once again joined by two wonderful people. Guy Morton. Hello. And Jean-Manuel Becker.
1: Hello everyone. Happy to be here again.
2: It's nice to be called Wonderful, Alien. Thank you.
0: (laughs) You're very welcome.
2: I generally feel so so um, inadequate. That's really boosted my spirits.
0: We're
1: just all AWS Geek who are wonderful, yes. (laughs)
0: Cool. In that case, let's get started and as always we do so with finally in sydney i think the big one here for me at least is cloud shell
2: oh yes i'm glad you said that because um because I, I i had a look at it and um b- before we did the news the other day and I was, I was sort of thinking about it, thinking, oh yeah this is this is cool this is cool and then i was thinking what would you actually do with it so so i'm hoping that you're so excited about it Ian, that you can tell me what it's good for
0: it is good for when you work with clients where you have to jump through a lot of hoops to get a cli Uh
1: (laughs) and you got automated um you know uh, LBOs keys and stuff like that in there i went i went there uh the other day and uh, i just used prawler um you know P R O W L E R which it's, it's a command line tool to check AWS security and assessment and doing auditing stuff and you just Python is already there, you install it from GitHub, takes ten seconds and you launch it and then um, you can start doing some assessment of on the AWS account you are in. So yeah, it's cool. That was missing. The cloud had that product for a long time. Um, that's safe to install keys and all sorts of uh, dependencies and plug on, on your own machine. And um, you go back there, it's still there. And, and Porto is still installed, so I can use it. You have one gig space per region um, to have fun with it. It takes a bit of time to launch, like 30 seconds, 45 seconds, depending. But yeah, it's cool. I like it. Oh, well,
0: that's good. And it's easier than if you need to do something there locally. You don't have to spin up an instance or...
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that makes sense, yeah. I mean, I I could see it was bound to be handy, but I just wasn't sure, you know, what what scenarios. And I guess I don't spend a lot of time on... uh, Well, up till now, I haven't spent a lot of time actually uh, outside my home. Uh, So, you know, the idea of having to jump through hoops, you know, Customer side doesn't really apply to me at the moment, but um, yeah, cool. I can see that would be useful.
1: So that's in Sydney now, in Frankfurt and Mumbai as well. Um, That's a good addition for us. Um, Other news for Sydney is uh, Amazon Transcribe, custom language model, um, support Australian English and British English.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not really an in Sydney thing, but anything that is Australian. (laughs) It counts, yeah. doesn't it?
2: Yeah, it yeah. does. Absolutely counts. Yeah, that's right. Um yeah. So I think I think we'd we 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 will need to um try and train a model. Maybe we'll get a, a copy of the script to the castle or um some other iconic Australian media and feed it in and see what it makes makes of it all.
0: Or we should just try that episode of the podcast where you
2: <laughs> <eat>. <laughs> fair fair sh- Gave us a fair shake of the sauce bottle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it would be nice to to, to think that that um, transcribe would understand such idiomatic speech, and I guess um, I mean, I guess it's that's not the only purpose of it. Is it? it's um, it's also about um, capturing domain domain specific language and terms and 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 getting better at um, understanding those sorts of things, which is really I think a key thing because if you've done you know speech to text before, you'll know how inadequate it is out of the box most of the time and so things like this where you can actually give it a, a training set of data that is like what you're expecting to get is obviously going to help you get better results um and the whole purpose of you know this kind of stuff is to minimize the amount of human in, human intervention that has to go into fixing data that's been poorly transcribed so it's nice that uh that we have that model in australian english now cool
1: um, multi attach for provision IOPS IO2 now in uh, Sydney as well. So you can attach, um, you can multi attach, sorry, um, shared EBS data volumes up to 16 nitro basis EC2 instance in the same availability zone. That's very important. Yep. Remind everyone EBS is per AZ. Um, so multi attach is, you know, if you want to build this. Very old rack, Oracle rack clusters or SQL clusters and stuff like that, um, you can definitely do that. When you provision the IOPS, each instance are able to drive the full capacity of that EBS volume in IOPS but the sum cannot override it. So if each instance running 25,000 IOPS, then obviously the volume need to be 50,000, but one instance can drive 50,000 and the other one zero. So um, that will be the same volume as well. So uh, that's that's the idea. IO2, I remind everyone, IO2 is not IO2 block express, which is different, which is much higher in performance. It's just uh, the evolution of from IO1 to IO2 with a better durability and uh, 16,000 IOPS per Per volume, so yeah,
0: pretty cool and cheaper, and all the good things that come with that.
1: Yeah, cheaper and, and yeah, uh, four gig to sixteen terabyte, uh, and then up to one thousand max throughput per volume. So uh, yeah, very good product. Um, useful only if you run, like I said, kind of older type of uh, clusters or, or rack. Um, but you know, if you need to run that, still that makes sense.
2: Yeah, I did see that it had a caveat though around you know, using it with Windows. Um, so Windows OS doesn't recognise the data on the volume that's shared between instances. So I guess unless you you can live with that, probably um, it's probably going to be more useful uh, generally in a Linux environment. I guess.
1: Yeah, probably miss that. But uh, w- with clusters, it's always the case, right? You can't have an NTFS. You need to be a cluster mode and managed by the cluster to be able to active-active.
0: Cool. And the last one is Transit Gateway Connect. And I really hope you can explain that one to me.
1: (laughs) Transit Gateway Connect. So it's not Transit Gateway at all, right? So it is a new connection for Transit Gateway. It is to help SD1 connectivity uh, back into AWS. So it's a new connector to the Transit Gateway who allow you to create a GRE tunnel between your SD1 and the transit gateway and publish routes in between. So you have a connector, you have a GRE tunnel on top, and then you make basically transit gateway, talk to the SD1, and you can advertise route up and down the SD1, and the SD1 can advertise route right to the transit gateway. So three type of connectors now, or, or more actually, there's four. You have the normal VPC attachment, that's a connector, you know, uh, up to 50 gig bandwidth. You have the Die connect attachment with the Transit Gateway interface. You have the VPN IPsec attachment. And now you have the Transit Gateway Connect attachment, which is definitely for SD1 or for some, let's say, a Palo Alto or for uh, all the type of firewall that you want to use. So instead of using VPN IPsec to connect from your Palo Alto EC2 device into the Transit Gateway, you're going to use the connector plus the GRE tunnel, and then they can talk to each other. And so you have much more scal- scalability. You don't need to use BGP because the G- GRE tunnel is there to do the communication. There's plenty of small advantage, um, and only for supported product. But um, it's really to help uh, SD-WAN connectivity for the wider type of WAN of connection back to AWS and advertise right up and down the transit gateway.
2: Wouldn't it be nice if they'd given it a name that that kind of didn't just sound (laughs) like a generic, oh, it's Gateway Connect to what? And yeah, I mean, as I can see, it's got a very specific place in the ecosystem, especially if you're a, a, you know, corporate with all those, all that sort of SD-WAN gear that you've already got, you know, out there in the wild. And you just, you want to use that to hook in you know, in a better way into AWS. But yeah, it could have done with a better name, couldn't it? Maybe SD-WAN Connect or something like that that kind of gave you a bit more gave you a bit more of a clue, like throw us a bone here, <laughs> AWS.
1: <laughs> because it's a transit good getaway connector, which yeah. is helping SD-WAN. So yeah, it, it's... Um, yeah. Uh, but it was available. It was announced at ReInvent last year. It started to be available in different regions and now it's good and there is more and more products uh, product was supported by that um, co- connectivity. So it, it's good. We simplify a lot people who run Palo Altos and, and all the type of uh, firewall in AWS uh, for uh, rat advertising. And then there is all the product as well, like the, the getaway as well was been released as well recently in, into Sydney to do that. So, yeah. Sorry, long, long, long explanation, but it's, it's a complex product and, and um, really basic networking. So you can connect Cisco and other brands as well to simplify your connectivity to Transit Gateway.
0: I am really glad you explained it all.
2: Cool. Well, that's, a, that's all the family in Sydney's.
0: Yep. So serverless. Hmm. Always fun with serverless?
2: <laughs> always. Always. One of the nice things uh, that, that I think a lot of people will appreciate is the um, change in duration billing granularity for Lambda at Edge. Previously, in 50 millisecond um, increments, now down to one millisecond increments. And because Lambda at Edge is often used for quite sort of simple operations, you know, either side of the cloud your, your your cloud front distribution often i, I don't know what percentage of lambda at edge is doing this but i think probably i'd have to say at least 50% is just reading and writing headers uh changing headers on on requests um so those things are going to come down in t- in in uh in cost quite substantially i imagine for a lot of a lot of customers yeah
1: now, it's a good price reduction there. Um, Amazon API Gateway custom domain, uh, support multi-level base path mapping. So that reminds yeah. me a bit like what they did for application load balancer as well a couple of years ago, where you could have, you know, multiple paths, uh, with the same, uh, API. So that's, that's very interesting that, that remove, um, you know, some other type of API uh, functionalities advantage to, towards the Amazon API getaway. Um, so I, I, I like that. I like that. It's-
2: yeah. I think, I think the use case of that that they, they talk about is, some um, is to sort of, uh, decompose the monolith by being able to piece by piece take different parts of the route of, a, of an API and redirect them off to different microservices. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of neat. So yeah,
1: like customers order items can be sent to one type of uh, API where the uh, or version two, version one was different API, so that allows you to do uh, easier blue green, easier uh, canary testing as well uh, for your API and uh, a seamless experience for the customer where they're still hitting the same custom domain. So um, no, I think it's very very good uh, addition there to the product. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Then back in the Lambda site again, you can now integrate Postgres with Lambda. So this is similar to what was possible for SQL, so your stored procedures and things like that can call out to Lambda and that way offload some of the processing that otherwise your database may, might do. And I assume that gives you a chance to either integrate it with lots of additional data from outside of your database or completely mess up your database. <laughs>
2: yeah and trigger trigger things uh, other services like sns so you could say you know if there's a if there's an update to this record um you know send a message out on sns to you know to to, to trigger some other system to do something in in response yeah so it just to lets you i guess orchestrate other aws services around data changes in your postgres database yep yep lambda and edge supports node 14 so it's a, just a you know just a little incremental, not very exciting, but it's it's important I guess. There's always progress. The next are all march of progress. Yep. The only other thing in the Lambda bucket for this month is the CloudWatch Lambda Insights supporting AWS Lambda container images. Um, so that's if you're deploying your Lambda Vara container image and um dot 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 and uh, I'll let someone else finish my sentence.
0: <laughs> So Lambda Insights is just the additional monitoring you can pay for on top of your Lambda functions. It gives you much more insight in how things run. I think there's some ML logic behind it as well to uh, surface things that you might be interested in. And yeah, uh, that now works with the Lambdas that you're running from containers uh, as was introduced at reInvent.
2: Yeah. There's a step function announcement, so I'm always, always keen to see new step functions, announcements, a new data flow simulator for modeling input and output processing. Now, I, I saw this announcement and thought, wow, that sounds fantastic. Um, and then I went and looked at it and it's, it's not quite as exciting. It's more like a a, a learning tool. Then it is a, uh, like it's not going to do anything for, you, for your particular step functions, state machine instance. It's not going to give you an actual, uh, modeling of your functions and what they're doing. It's only going to walk you through sort of how it works. You can, you can put your own inputs in and you can kind of walk through them. So you can sort of interactively, um, uh, you know, do things like tinker with the JSON path that you're using at various, you know, in various points. Um, and you can see what the difference, um, you know, would be of, of making various changes. So yeah, I think it would help. It would help you sort of understand, get your head around how, how Step Functions is doing things, but it's not sort of... Uh, I'm going to pick up your uh, deployed state machine and go, oh, let me show you exactly what's happening at each step of, uh, of your, your state machine's execution. Right. Um, which, which would have been nice um, because that is sometimes a little bit of a gap. Um, and you do, yeah, there's a little bit of, um, it, it can be a little bit hard sometimes to, 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 to get that sort of visibility of what's going on.
1: So more troubleshooting tool than really a planning tool, is it?
2: I think it serves two purposes. One is to help you get a mental model of of what's going on at various um, in various types of um, s- s- um, step functions, steps, step types. Um, but it's also, I think, people have a lot of questions when they start using JSON path, um, and they you know i think it's 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 kind of a difficult thing to get your head around exactly what's going on and what step functions is doing so it it kind of gives you a visual guide you can step through different kinds of you know from the input from the input stage through right through to the the final output stage you can kind of see what each of those kinds of steps is going to do. And it, as I say, it lets you sort of tinker with selectors and things like that. So you can, you can kind of get a bit, bit more of an understanding of what it's doing and why it's doing it by, inf- by inference, yeah. So, but it's good. I think, I think it probably is, it, if you're planning on using step functions or if you want to use step functions, I think it's definitely a good tool for figuring out what you're doing and, um, and why it's working the way it is. Okay.
1: cool. Uh, some improvement on Event Bridge again. Uh, this product really get um, get a lot of improvement every month. Um, that you can uh, support uh, Event Bridge now support cross region event burst targets. So you can uh, send uh, burst event. Uh, two different um, regions from different accounts. So you could centralize between accounts, now you can centralize between regions. So at the moment, destination regions are only North Virginia, Oregon, and Ireland, but you can send from many other regions, including Sydney. So um, that's um that's quite interesting, and I think they're probably going to expand that. So you just need the the RN uh, name of your uh, event bridge and uh, you can send event to it. So good to be very interesting for, you know, very large organization who use uh, multi-region landing zone and stuff like that to be able to send um, alert and, and monitoring across regions um, and across accounts. So um, this, this product started being a really massive event kind of hub across the world, across all your accounts. So that, that's uh, very exciting.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah, I don't think that's any accident. It seems to be a very deliberate strategy. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, the fact there's only three supported destination regions at the moment. It's probably, it may be a, a problem for some customers potentially. I mean, you've got latency, I guess, across the, across the Pacific for, for us. Um, they've got, you know, North America and, and Europe. I guess if you're somewhere between those, if you're in the if you're in the northern hemisphere, you probably you probably latency wouldn't be too much of a, a deal. But um, and I guess yeah, the nature of an event bridge probably is I guess latency shouldn't be a big deal.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because yeah.
2: the whole nature of it is you're not waiting for things. But um, I guess the other thing would be um, data sovereignty. Potentially, there may be customers who wouldn't want to uh, push anything. That you know through hubs that are that are only in the US or, or Ireland. Yeah, um, yeah. But but anyway, you know. Look, that's I don't want to be a downer.
1: <laughs> well, I'm sure I'm sure it's going to increase, and every region would be able to send to to anything. So yeah. Um, but having you know control, uh, monitoring kind of security events being sent uh, across regions um, for. Um, analysis of events and stuff like that that's going to be very interesting maybe next in Control Tower I see I'll see that problem coming into Control Tower I don't know
2: we'll see huh. um, so the other event bridge thing was chatbot have, have either of you guys actually used or looked at chatbot much
1: yeah I've used it maybe we should for the the news of the uh, <laughs> Slack channel because it seems like now <laughs> you can go event bridge chatbot and then Slack Slack so that's that would right be cool. yeah yeah <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. Some customer had to build a couple of integrations with Lambda and all the product. That seems that could simplify a lot. Having event bridge, uh to chatbot and then to Slack, um, all integrated in WS, that's, uh, that's look pretty cool.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's definitely an improvement because I've run into limitations where, oh, I can just send this to chatbot. Oh, no, I can't send this to chatbot because it needs to go through SQSQ, I think it was, or SNS topic. Yeah. And now you can just do it directly cool to Slack or of course Amazon Chime chat rooms yes everybody well, loves to use
2: yes right <laughs> I wonder how many requests they're getting can you can you send it to Teams can you send it to Teams <laughs> and I wonder what their answer would be no back off <laughs>
0: So Amplify also had a couple of minor announcements.
2: Yeah, I had a look at those. Obviously, if you're an iOS developer, you've got Swift Package Manager support for it. Uh, Amplify iOS, which should be good, I guess. Orchestrating multiple DynamoDB global secondary index updates in a single deployment. So previously, you could only do them one at a time. So if you wanted to make multiple changes, you have to do multiple deployments. Uh, and also, it's facilitating. You can you can do those multiple um Multiple updates when you deploy to, you know, your next environment too. So, you can go from, you know, staging to production and apply your updates there too. I had a look at the console for um, Amplify. It's it's really, I mean, they're they're obviously putting a lot of work into it and it's looking really uh, very interesting. Um, it's a bit like, you know, there's other platforms around that, that offer so similar types of integrated you know app services but um the funny thing (laughs) i thought about it anyway i thought it was funny is um you know they've got this lovely console and uh most of the uh services that you can uh sort of interact with uh, if you want to actually add say a rest api to your amplify app you actually have to install the Amplify CLI and do it all on the console in the um, in the CLI anyway. So you can't actually do. There's a lot of things you obviously can't do uh, in the console. But I think they're obviously you know uh, looking to you know developers and trying to sort of ease the development process with this product. And I guess the the consoles really expanding out with sort of you know features to 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 help developers do. Do what they need to do in a sort of a, a more uh, graphical environment, um, managing data and um, schema and modeling, modeling data and so forth. There's, there's a whole section in that in the console now for that. So um, yeah, if you are using Amplify, I'm sure you'll enjoy that.
0: Well, then let's talk containers.
2: Yeah, your favourite subject.
0: With a massive amount of announcements this month.
2: Are <laughs> oh, you feeling sad? Are you feeling unloved?
0: I think I will survive the disappointment. Okay. Yeah.
2: And one of those containers announcement isn't even really a containers announcement, is it? Is is it containers or is it Secrets Manager?
0: It is containers.
2: Okay. <laughs> if you say so.
0: <laughs> it is actually the one that I care about the most. So basically this is Secrets Manager delivers provider for QNode Secret Store CSI Driver. So what this means is that it basically using a standard Kubernetes way of doing things, it will pretend that your secret manager records are basically Kubernetes secrets, Okay. which is good in two ways. One, it means that if your applications or whatever you're running use those Kubernetes secrets, you no longer need to do any syncing if you have to you wanted them somewhere. And secondly, it's, of course, good for security because Kubernetes secrets aren't. (laughs) Right. As we've probably all seen before, those are just base64 encoded Values so right
2: right
1: yeah they're more ca- caching mechanism than really uh, a secret storage so having think that that driver is going to be very good yeah um, and you you need Kubernetes 117 for that
2: and I guess I guess also you get you get to have um, the benefit of uh, automated rotation of secrets as well yes so you you, you get the goodies of secrets manager at, in, in into the bargain
0: yeah so one way I've seen it solved in the past is um, there's a bunch of sync tools available i think there was one from godaddy that i've seen used which basically just keeps an eye on secrets manager if it gets updated it will pull in the latest value but this is so much better obviously of course you could also just build your applications to pull directly from secrets manager Mm -hmm. but if for some reason you can't or don't want to do that this is a good solution Mm.
1: And the, he enabled as well, not only Secret Manager, but as well the SSM Parameter Store, right? With the same uh, plugin, you can access as well SSM Parameter Store.
0: Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: So you can find it on GitHub, install it on your Kubernetes, and start consuming Secret Manager. There is another Kubernetes improvement this month, uh, is Ikea CTL now support creating node groups using resource specification. Um, so it's more like instead of saying I want a, you know, M5 or, or C5, then you can just say I want vCPUs and memory and GPUs. And it will calculate the number of nodes you need uh, to be able to satisfy your request. Uh, and you can even run that into dry run mode. It will tell you what type of uh, EC2 instance he can create for you and uh, what will be your new cl- uh, cluster will look like with a new number of nodes. So um, more integration between the uh, kubectl there and the uh, AWS environment to create nodes.
0: Cool. And that's it for containers. So EC2 and VPC.
2: Mm-hmm. So what's your favorite announcement from, uh, from this section, Alian?
0: Well, I know based on last month that yours will be the high availability for Red Hat Enterprise Linux. <laughs>
2: <laughs> wow, so mean. Yeah, I'm not sure what it means. Is it a special
1: AMI or what is exactly high availability for Red Hat Linux? It's
2: probably it's, it's probably just a licensing deal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that you can redirect to your own licensing tool. You don't have to use the licensing inside AWS. But it seems to be a, just a specific AMI with specific drivers. So what's the other red hat they are not highly available they are
2: yeah i think it's uh, just having a quick scan it's about making compute clusters so yeah. i i suspect i'm probably not far from the truth with the it's a licensing deal so i think it's probably just um mainly to do with um uh, enabling whatever technical sort of control plane stuff needs to happen yeah. to to let you do that plus also an overlay of um uh, let AWS collect the money for red hat and give it to them so that you don't have to deal with them directly.
1: You can use Red Hat 7 or Red Hat 8 for that. Um, so yeah, interesting if you're still in the Red Hat world. What was interesting for me was the auto-scaling uh, with the warm, warm pool, I think. Um, yeah. That's a very interesting way of having you know, a, a very nice scaling, a much, much smoother scaling when uh, your IMI is, is need a lot of attention to be created or joining the domain or all sorts of different things you need to do with, with instances before they become available into your auto scaling group. So it keep your, your machine warm. Um, I mean, warm. You have two states. You can have them really warm and, and already, uh, operational and just not in the, uh, auto group, but running, or you could have them warmish, but still stopped <laughs> because they are not really running. They stop, but they are all prepared. They are all installed. They are all, uh, webhook the lot. Everything we need to do through your user data and everything has been done. And the machine is there to stop waiting to be included into the auto group and receive traffic and, and basically start it. So now you have a new capacity in, in the past with auto-scaling group. You have the your minimum and maximum. Now you have your max prepared capacity, uh, which is basically in between. And uh, if you have a max prepare, let's say auto-scaling group of six, maximum of 10, and you have a prepare capacity of eight, the auto-scaling group service will keep two machines for you in a warm pool ready to be consumed. If you use these two, then there is no more. You will need to start still doing call start uh for, for your machine, but at least you have that extra buffer if you start scaling. So um yeah, quite interesting. Two. Couple of limitations though, um you cannot have a mixed instance policy. And you cannot have launch uh, spot instance as well in your auto-scaling group. You cannot use, obviously, instance stores because the root device need to be on EBS, not on uh, ephemeral storage. And uh, the other one was, um, yeah, if you try to use that, which would be smart with ECS or EKS, that you might end up with uh, services who try to put uh, scheduled jobs on instance before they are fully warm. So, um, yeah, every dangerous at the moment, but um, for EC2, I think it's working very well. Maybe wait a bit for ECS and ECS. Cool.
0: Yeah. What I also thought looks cool, but I haven't seen how well it works, and in a way, I'm just thinking, how does this work in the first place? Is the root replacement... <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, I've been thinking about it, I, I had a look at it. It seems to just work. Um, you just replace the root... <laughs> That
2: doesn't help us, James. That doesn't help us. <laughs> yeah, but we need to test it because I think the, your machine might crash.
1: I mean, uh, if the, suddenly you remove the disk volume uh, from where logs get written and all of that, what, what's going to happen? So it seems that there several stages uh, when you do the process and are stages where it fail and, and, and all of that. But you can yeah, change the root volume on the running instance. Yeah. Mm. But I, I I've been thinking about that like for security reasons that were pretty pretty good, right? You could replace a machine who had who had been kind of corrupted or you could replace your root volume every night at midnight, uh to make sure that the machine hasn't been tampered with. Uh instead of terminating and recreating a new machine, you could just, you know, refresh your root volume uh and without losing any of your data volume, So, um, yeah. Because all network interface stay the same. Uh, The identifier, instance ID, attachment IDs, all of that. And then all the pending traffic apart is flushed uh, when the instance uh, go back to uh, available. So, um, yeah, interesting
0: stuff. Yeah, it's just uh, when you... This is one of those things where you see how powerful the cloud is. Because if I just think about this in a data center, you would... Have your running machine. You pull out the disk that it's running up from, and then put in another one.
1: That was possible with yeah. with red one. You used to be able to do that, right? You had a disk going orange. and
2: yeah, yeah. But that's that's RAID though. So I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's okay. I, I can I can grok that too. But yeah, I was having the same trouble grokking this one because um, I was thinking, hang on, you can't do that. The, the, the machine will crash. Um, it's expecting to find its all its. Files in the you know same places as it left them. Um, but there must be some caveats around you know what what can be different about the this this root volume that you that you've swapped it out with. Um, I, I think. Well, it need
1: to be a snapshot, obviously, of your own machine and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, if it's if it's like you know um, uh, if all the log files are in the same places of Baza for instance, so it's not going to freak out. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, uh, but yeah. So. But it would be interesting to to understand that more.
1: Yeah, it, it, interesting. I mean, I wonder why who decided to do this feature, really? <laughs> um, and what's the real deep usage it is for. Yeah, because the do it, doing it stopped is easy and always has been possible, but uh, doing it live is very interesting. Yeah.
2: And I know Jeff Barr wrote a post about it. So if you if people are interested, maybe search that up. Uh, I think he had some some use cases there. Yeah.
1: Yep. I, I love the VPC flow log with uh, Athena.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was neat.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that was missing, right? Uh, I want to mm-hmm. see my logs, what what do you need to do? I need to write SQL uh, command and stuff like yep. that. That's all pre, predefined. Yep. Um, you attach them together. You can run a couple of uh, predefined Athena queries for you, like uh, accepted traffic, IPv4 traffic.
2: Rejected traffic top talkers yeah, yeah.
1: yeah the 50 ip most recorded in your vpc i mean that, that's pretty cool to be able to do very quick troop shootings and and uh I, I like it very much yeah yeah
0: also just yeah just the setting it up uh making that easy because there was always a bit of a pain I'm running the yeah. query to create the table yeah i mean i'm sure we've all got it saved somewhere so it's just copy paste but
1: well here is a is a generated cloud formation template that you use you deploy and then you have your tables you have uh, your queries already pre-recorded uh, that's uh, that's pretty good
2: yeah yep excellent
1: um direct connect with maxsec encryption for dedicated 10 gig and 100 gig connection in selected locations so for us in sydney the only selected location is Equinix, and it's only for 100 gig um, uh, right. connect, so you can have only one. But uh, you know, for customers who have always been asking, how can we encrypt the traffic on Direconnect, the Then now it is possible uh, that replace uh, IPsec and all sort of manipulation we had to do in the past, so that use the MaxSec security standard uh, to encrypt the traffic. Uh, similar to IPsec, similar to TLS, uh, you guarantee the quality of the data, the data integrity, and the data origin authentication as well uh, through your packet.
0: Cool. I think the other one I want to call out from this list is Nitro Enclaves now working with Windows. Mm-hmm. If you were interested in using Nitro Enclaves, but when Windows, oh, your solution is now here.
2: Fill your boots, as they say.
0: Yeah,
1: have fun. <laughs> That would be interesting.
2: Uh, so, not, no extra cost, but
1: you, you share the compute of your EC2 instance with the Enclave, and uh, we can process stuff uh, securely, PCI and SSL and all sorts of things. So, um, yeah, go back to the announcement we had when we Enclave came out at reInvent, but um, now it's possible on Windows.
2: So, Code Guru, I know you're a big fan, am, So, there's an announcement this, this month about that.
0: In the dev and Ops section, which we forgot to mention. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, Code Guru has now become a product people would actually want to use, mostly because it supports Python now, but also because the pricing is now using a sane, aka predictable model, which has pricing of up to 90% lower. I mean, talk about a product that was priced completely wrong. For what people wanted to pay.
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah. It was 75 cents per 100 line of code. That was crazy, is it?
0: It was 100 line of code scanned. So yeah. every pull request, it would do the same 100 lines and scan them. And
1: Yeah, over and over. Hmm. Um, so the new price now is $10 per month for the first 100,000 line of code. Um on your repo, um so even if you scan them many, many times is the other same still include uh, once a month scanning of your old repo yeah yeah,
0: and it uh, if you have it if you have multiple repos, it aggregates them and it counts the total number of lines across those repos, just taking the biggest branches so if you've got a branch that where you accidentally committed all your npm modules, maybe delete that branch. <laughs>
2: <laughs> good advice
0: of course um, it's, it's, it's Java and Python only so it's not really an issue but
2: no no there's an equivalent I'm sure
1: and you still have a free tier for the first 90 days uh, to test the product uh, for your first 100,000 lines of code as well that's good no cost
2: yeah I'm gonna give that a go and find out how bad my Python coding skills are. He doesn't count the
1: blanks, so you're fine.
2: You're fine. <laughs> oh, well, you think my code is all blanks?
0: <laughs> no, we, we think you just comment your code a lot.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you really? Do you, you, know me, you, know, you know me well enough to know that's not likely, don't you?
0: I want to be positive to you today.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm really, I'm really feeling the love. Um, you and I, the other night... Um, talked about the AWS SSO and the um, credential profile support for um, AWS Toolkit for Visual Studio. And I've just realized that it's actually Visual Studio, not Visual Studio Code, because I remember saying to you that I'm sure I've been using uh, SSO's uh, SSO um, profiles in, in Visual Studio Code. Um, is, this just, is this something different? Is it actually is this, the, the difference is that it's in Visual Studio, like the big bad boy of, of IDEs.
0: Yeah, so this one is for Visual Studio last month.
1: It was for your code Yeah, yeah.
2: Ah, uh, okay. All right.
0: Which is oh, actually confusing because I, when it I is. just saw this again, I was also thinking, didn't we have this one last yeah, month Yeah, we did, did? I yeah. forgot yeah. to remove it. But-
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. See, when I see Visual Studio, I just think Visual Studio Code because I'm not a .NET developer, so I've never, I've never touched Visual Studio. But like probably every other developer out there, it's using Visual Studio code these days, unless there's something cooler that's hit the market. Um, it's the kind of leading idea, I think, at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, with all the yeah. plug-in, yeah. So, yeah, so, so, so given that about Visual Studio, I don't actually care much about it. <laughs> but, but if you're on Visual Studio, you, you may care. Um, you probably do care. You probably would care. You should care. Yeah. SSO profile support is definitely good.
1: Yeah, you used to have to enter your access keys into Visual Studio (laughs) to be able to (laughs) access AWS. Now, you can use your SSO and MFA, that's a pretty good improvement.
2: Yep. Absolutely. Switching between accounts becomes a lot easier. I
1: got a couple of code deploy improvement for EC2 deployment. Um, code deploy before had to be, you know, relaunch or, um, or recheck every time you were updating an instance. Now you can, you can do that in the background for you. You can check if uh, the auto group is running all the version and deploy automatically. So, um, and update the revision automatically yeah. and sort of when the UAMI join in instead of having to relaunch everything. So a couple of improvements there for code deploy for people who have been frustrated sometimes uh, on the deployment with that product.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. Proton also had some improvements. Oh,
2: whoa, hang on. Whoa. whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. <laughs> You've skipped over the announcement that I'm most excited about. <laughs> <laughs> AWS, AWS SAM CLI now supports AWS CDK applications, Public Preview.
1: It's just Public Preview, yeah.
2: So this this is exciting, don't you think? Do, do, do you guys use CDK? Like, if you, Nope. You're, you're, two, you're, you're, you're both old school.
0: It's, it's still very much on my list of things to do. Uh, and yeah. now that CDK version 2 is basically it's a release candidate now, I think. Yeah. So I might just wait until that's out and then jump on that. Waiting
2: for version two. Fair enough. Um, yeah. So, so one of the one of the things that that's kind of frustrating with CDK is that it's um, the way it packages up CloudFormation to deploy is is unique to it, um, as opposed to how SAM and it's different to how SAM works. So, being able to actually use the SAM CLI to deploy CDK applications would be really quite nice. So, I'm looking forward to seeing how that um, pans out.
0: I just had work because. The deployment part of the SAM CLI is just a wrapper around cloud formation functions
2: yeah i look i i don't know i don't know what's i i literally saw it tonight and thought, oh i didn't notice that the other night um when I was looking at these things, and I went and had a look at the blog so there's a blog post um talking about it and so I haven't really dug in <laughs> yet either, but I do think that the, it's, they're definitely on the right, on the right track because one of the annoying things about CDK is it's, it's just, it, you know if you're using sam sam sam's kind of easy and and everything kind of works it's kind of uh it, it does what you expect and cdk does too but it's the the fact that they kind of they do things differently is like it's it's awkward so i'm hoping that aws is basically seeing this as an opportunity to kind of try and bring the worlds together a little bit and to 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 make a common path for how you um how you build and deploy infrastructure so yeah it's. I can't answer any questions about how it works or why it works.
0: You just know you're excited.
2: I just know I'm excited. Exactly. <laughs> so um, yeah. So essentially, uh, the idea is that you'll be able to deploy a CDK application using SAM. So if that's if that's interesting to you, check out the blog post and um, follow follow on and see see how it goes.
0: And I think the reason it wasn't on the when we didn't use it to meet up is because it was announced afterwards.
2: Uh, That would make sense, yeah.
0: Cool. Then talking about more the old school parts, there's a whole bunch of improvements to CloudFormation. So if you use stack sets, uh, there's some nice things there that you can use macros and transforms, which is basically the same thing. So I don't know why they have to call it that way, but you can now use your macros in your stack sets as well as deploying them concurrent in parallel to multiple AWS regions. That is something you need that should speed some things up. Especially, I think that would help with things like Control Tower.
1: Yeah, probably, yes.
0: That uses it under the hood.
1: Oh, be careful people who deploy uh, Bitcoin uh, mining for it. <laughs> so then need to deploy to 19 regions at once and start mining in 19 times at a time. So, yeah. Um, but you now, probably a very good improvement. In the past, you could schedule them uh, one after the other. Now you can do it concurrently. So the big improvement there across region to deploy um, uh, templates like AWS config and stuff like that uh, would be good.
0: And another one that I am happy about and is also something that I complained about in the past is um, with CloudFormation modules. So this was released as well at ReInvent or around ReInvent, which is where you can build your own reusable models, um, basically templates that you can reuse. Say you have a module for an S3 bucket that has all the security things set up the way you like it because by default, CloudFormation S3 gives you a wide open bucket, then people can use that. And one of the big downsides was that for some reason, those modules had to be written in JSON, which was obviously annoying to anybody who wants to use CloudFormation. the other thing is, if you had to refer to things from those modules, you had to do it through a very annoying name. It was module name concatenated with the resource name within the module, something like that. Now, at the very least, you can have dots in between. So clearly, define this is part of that, and it's not just one very long name.
1: Yeah, you can uh, read it more, much more easily when you look at your YAML template now. The other thing was, um, I think missing in, into this product for really, um, to be embraced is the module need to be, um, per account. So even as an enterprise level, if you define, like you said, an S3 bucket, with certain security features that you want all your enterprise to be deploying, you will need to upload that module to every single <laughs> account you you want to use, and then they can be called. It will be nice to see a central repository. That was my second uh, request after the YAML one uh, to be able to say in in our org we use that s three templates, and that's the name of the module, and everybody can call it from any of the account part of that org. That will be a fantastic uh, you know advancement and make it uh, really a step forward from the other product who works similarly, like Terraform, uh, where you use modules. So um, yeah, we'd love to see that improvement. Using RAM, for example, or some product like that to be able to to share that between accounts would be uh, awesome to see.
0: Yeah, that would definitely be a big help. Yeah,
1: instead of deploying like 50 times the same module. <laughs>
0: yeah, because it's also annoying to deploy. Hmm.
1: And then to update and version and uh, be sure that there's a latest version. So so many problems you could resolve by having a centralized repository uh, with versioning, obviously. But
0: yeah. yeah, one other one that has bitten me in the past is that when you use dynamic referencing of parameter store objects or sequence manager objects, you could never ask for the latest version of an object you always had to specify a specific version yeah which is obviously annoying when it comes to your secrets because you wanted to use
2: completely annoying (laughs) the latest one absolutely yeah counterintuitive kind of i can kind of almost understand why they went that way but yeah definitely definitely um definitely needed this and if you get it
1: wrong, your CloudFormation will roll back and uh, sorry, you got the wrong version. Ha <laughs> ha.
2: Yeah. Oh, well, that's okay. I think people can live with that. People are probably happy enough to live with that. It's a small price to pay, okay. I think, JM.
0: So this problem is now half solved because for at least parameter store parameters, you can now define latest. Unfortunately, Secrets Manager is still not the case, even though you call them the same way. But apparently for secret Manager ones, you're out of luck.
2: Really, I thought. I thought. Um. I thought with Secrets Manager, you could just not pass that, and you'd get the latest one anyway. Um. I'm just. I'm just. I just was doing something with CDK and Secrets Manager today, and I'm pretty sure I didn't have to specify a, a um anything identifying the version. Yep.
0: J M. Do you want to talk about the control tower stuff?
1: Oh, control tower, oh yes, couple of improvements, nothing uh, dramatic. I think um, the S3 log archive was a bit uh, too um, restrictive. So um, AWS now uh, allow and change the options uh, about the SCPs enforcing the S3 log archive for a couple of S3 buckets. And uh, you can now configure the naming of your landing zone setup uh, by naming the account or the OU differently. AWS dot naming convention with core and uh, audit account and, and stuff like that. So now that's, you, you can modify them. So nothing really that exciting on Control Tower uh, this month.
0: Fair enough. So on the system manager side, there's one that seems like a small thing, but that I'm really happy about, which is that the run command can now display more logs and that you can possibly download these as well. This is something that has bitten me in the past where I would have jobs running that would grab information, uh, for example, uh, group information from an AD structure. And in the past, your logs could only be 2,500 characters, which meant that sometimes the data I needed was cut off. So I had to instead write it all to S3, and then pull it in from Jenkins or whatever. But now it can show up to uh, 24,000 characters, which is more than enough for anything I've run into so far.
1: Yeah, 24,000 instead of 2,500, that's a big increment, is it?
0: Yeah. So that one made me really happy, even though I've built in so many workarounds already, so I don't need it at the moment. Mm
1: Uh, we were talking about um, retrieving easily uh, parameters for Parameter Store, so now uh, there is an easy way for public parameters discoverability. Uh, you can ask uh, through the API to System Manager, the latest AMI, a couple of you know, all the, the public parameters that AWS provides, regions, and stuff like that, through, through the API. And um, you have a common way of doing it, so
2: uh, some improvement there. Yep.
0: Shall we move on to security?
2: Um What did we talk about the other day? I think it was bot control was the thing that I thought was pretty exciting about the security side of things. So bot control analyzes request metadata. So TLS, handshakes, HTTP attributes, and IP addresses to identify the source and purpose of a bot. So if you've run, you know, anything on the web these days, you no doubt realize that probably 80% of your traffic is bots, depending obviously what, what it is you're doing. Um, but, you know, public websites, not surprising to see 80% of traffic is bots these days. So this will give you, uh, it'll sort of figure out what kind of bots are crawling your website, uh, whether they're sort of scrapers of data, um, if it's just SEO stuff, which you obviously want, or site monitoring. So different kinds of things, automated things will be hitting your site. So bot control actually does the analysis to, to figure out what, what kind of um, device is accessing your thing. Um, and then once you've got that all sorted out, you can block traffic based on uh, bots that you don't want. Um, so you can leave the bots that do things like, uh, you know, you want Google to be able to crawl your site and index you so that everyone comes to your site and you want, um, but you don't, and you have know, a site monitor, you want that to, to get through, but you don't want, um, you know, just random uh, evil bots that are just doing bad things, uh, you know, trying to probe for, you know, vulnerabilities and such. So, yeah, that's a really nice product, I think. I, I, I say that without having without having actually implemented it <laughs> but I think if it's if it does what it says on the tin that'll be a really a really nice uh product to to add to the AWS product family.
1: Yeah and it's part of the the waf uh, for, waf yeah so you can use it on cloudfront, uh, application load balancer, api gateway and AppSync as well uh with the webcl.
2: Yep, yep.
1: So use labeling, uh, like you said. So if you detect a certain bot, you can label it and then decide what you do with that label later or redirect them to something else. Uh, if you don't want to send them to your real site, but send them to another one.
2: Um, so interesting. Yeah. Send them to a honeypot. Yes. And then
1: um, obviously you can use as well Firewall Manager across your organization to manage that bot implementation and enforce it across all your WAF. Uh, so very quickly you can uh, enable that product across all your uh public facing uh website yeah neat so a couple of announcement link with that announcement today yeah
0: yeah and the other big one with the firewalls is the route 53 resolver dns firewall which i am completely blanking on what it did again
2: so it's uh it's it's so it's it's basically to protect your, your the resources in your VPC from data exfiltration attempts. So it sits um, between your VPC and the internet and blocks uh, DNS requests going outbound that don't match whatever you think is safe. So you can protect against data exfiltration attempts by defining domain name allow lists that allow resources within your VPC to make outbound DNS requests only for the sites your organization trusts.
1: Yeah. Uh, would that would that uh, still not limit to do IP data filtration so through IP
2: addresses? Oh, yeah. So if, I guess if you, uh, mm, I guess its it's particular focus is around DNS using DNS as a, an, an attack vector. Because what I
1: was trying to understand, so I, I, I'm not a specialist of that part, but I, I thought They were talking about the bad actor extracting data through a DNS query.
2: That's right, yeah. So
1: using, I don't know how big a DNS query can be, right? But using packets uh, to talk to a DNS server, which is containing that secure data, I mean, it can be... Uh, a a credit card information cut into three or four bits, right? And then you send that to a domain that you own with a domain server that you own, and you capture and log all of that. And suddenly, just by using the DNS protocol, which is usually allowed by everyone, you can exfiltrate data slowly. Uh, So I thought that was to resolve that problem, but I'm, I'm not sure anymore for what you said.
2: I think it is. I think that is that is the exact use case that, yeah. that they're talking about. So yeah. So if if a, if a bad actor cont- controls a domain name that you that they would use DNS queries outbound to resolve that domain name to to carry data out out of your network. So by putting this firewall in place, you're saying, um, you know, badguy.com, don't resolve queries for badguy.com or don't only resolve queries for goodguy.com, don't resolve any other queries. Um, Yeah, I think that's that's how it's supposed to work or how it works or what it's doing.
1: Yeah, because TCP 53, right? And then UDP 53 usually is allowed. Um, Yeah.
2: So this this is kind of neat. The review last accessed information. Oh yeah, that, to identify unused yeah. roles, yeah. Un- unused permissions, and to, to be able to tighten access.
1: Yeah, we used to have tools to crawl uh, crawl CloudTrail to be able to do that. Now it's integrated with the um, the IAM uh, policy maker. So that's interesting. That's good. Mm-hmm. And then um, the, uh, did you have this problem with source identity attribute sets um, with um, now? Identity Access Management helps you to be able to track a role when you get assumed between accounts uh, with a role chaining a user. Did you have that problem where you had to trace um, information to CloudTrail? Sometimes you had that weird ID that you couldn't find and that was an assumed role from another account who appearing. So now you can inject uh, identity attribute and then it will trace uh, that role across the multiple account into CloudTrail. So you, it's much easier to find what um, actors are doing um, between, between accounts. And like like for the part where you use Terraform or something like that, so you end up with a user identity which is a bit weird to trace. So that's going to be able to help.
0: Yeah, that's good. Cool.
2: Um, AWS Config, there's an announcement there. You use, usually like to talk about Config, <laughs>
1: Um Yeah. Uh, Some improvement with the Conformance Pack. So Conformance Pack is about deploying uh, that into multiple accounts. So now you can trace through config itself uh, the auditing of your uh, Conformance Pack uh, failure or success. And you can keep this data for seven years. So... Interesting. More features, I think, are coming with, uh, the, um, the AWS auditor as well. We're going to use AWS Configure in the background to be able to guarantee that your account never been tempered or never been, you know, hacked or, or never have any vulnerabilities. So using Confirmance Pack first, and then you try, you trace that the quality of your Confirmance Pack success, uh, across multiple accounts and across multiple regions. And you can keep the standard for seven years again for regulatory purposes. Um. A couple of improvements as well with Security Hub with the uh, automated response from a solution. We use the CIS benchmark and where you can use AWS config as well uh, in the backend for um, uh, doing this uh, analysis. So Security Hub has an alert, have some findings, send them to CloudWatch logs, use a couple of Lambda, uh, a cross account with cross account role to be able to remediate other accounts. So you can have now up to 21 automated remediation, I think, um, for that particular deployment across a account um, to verify if, if. Your, your account is still compliant with uh, what you want in, into your organization with Security Hub. So a lot of new automation coming up, uh, focusing on the CIS benchmark, and then there's some uh, uh, best practice from AWS point of view. So, um, and that's a, an AWS solution product. So it's a cloud formation template that you deploy between accounts and then right. it does that for you. So you, instead of creating your own SNS, your own cloud CloudWatch rules, your own step function, your own Lambda, you use what AWS provides.
2: So yeah. Cool. Should we move
0: on? We can just quickly mention the DynamoDB streams now also gets DataPlane API logged to CloudTrail, just like DynamoDB itself did last month.
2: Yeah. What is anyone excited about in the data storage and processing section?
1: A lot of Glue announcements. I think Glue and DataBrew and all these products are getting pushed by AWS a lot. Yeah. The Glue custom blueprint seems to be interesting, uh to be able to create this ETL process and then replicate them uh with some variable like for S3 files or something like that. Uh to be able to you know have a a set of catalogue of, of uh um, blueprint to be able to process data for engineers, that way they don't have to reinvent the wheel every time uh when they want to do some ETL processes. Improvement with uh cross account kinesis as well for glue, um data sync. With glue connectors, I mean there is a lot of announcement there to, for 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 glue and bro.
2: Okay, so that's glue. What about uh, there's a couple of Redshift. So the Aqua Advanced Query Accelerator um, for Redshift is um, was something we we gave a mention to the other day. I think in the news section. Yeah. So this is using the FPGA chipsets on the Nitro. Gear to basically accelerate certain kinds of queries. Uh, certain uh, instance types are, um, are, are, are included in this set of of instance types that, that can do this. The idea is to 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 basically put this high-speed processing closer to the data, and so you do less network traffic and um, um, achieve faster results. I think is the synopsis. Yeah basically. Nice. There's a couple of other Redshift announcements, I think, just relatively small private link uh, support for f- across VPCs. Uh, not, no, nothing's sort of super earth-shattering.
0: Yeah, similar with EMR. Not quite sure what EMR Studio does, but, yeah, uh, sorry, it's basically an IDE similar to SageMaker Studio, but then for EMR. Yeah,
1: where well, you include all Python, Scala, PySpark, and, and uh, this type of service, so it's a uh, So wonderful uh, notebooks and you can start consuming EMR very quickly. The good part is uh, integrated automatically with Okta, Azure ID, login, ping and uh, Microsoft ID and it's available in Sydney. But um, that simplifies a lot uh, the access to your data uh, through the studio instead of uh, having to manage that through the EMR itself, so um, uh, with single sign-on.
2: And presumably that's also aimed at um, being able to sort of um, devolve control so that you give your data scientists access through this IDE, through You know, uh, octos and and so forth. Rather than they have to, you know, they don't have to actually have access to your AWS account per se. Uh,
1: Exactly, and they can work remotely with uh, that 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 studio. So it's a good good product. Yeah,
2: Uh, we saw the Athena announcement around um, uh, network flow logs. Um, So there's uh, some Amazon Athena ML powered by Amazon SageMaker.
1: So yeah, you can you can now build and deploy machine learning model uh, in SageMaker and use SQL for Functions to call them through Amazon Athena and generate this prediction uh, with the SageMaker model. So basically you link them together. That's enable analytics team to make model uh, driven inside uh, on the live SQL data coming from, from Amazon Athena.
2: What else? What else is good? Uh, A couple of RDS announcements. Um, RDS for SQL Server now supports extended events. Yeah. RDS on VMware networking now simplified, more secure.
1: So in the past, you had to do VPN. Now you can use uh, TLS. uh, Yeah, no big deal. Um, Amazon FSx and AWS Backup uh, support copying file system backup across AWS Region and AWS Account. So that's applicable for Amazon FSx and Amazon FSx uh, for, for Windows and for Lust. Uh so you can uh store a backup across AWS region and uh, copy across account. And you can even uh now select with organization which account can host backup. That way that save people, you know, having the risk of having data exfiltration to other type of AWS backup account uh who are not part of your organization and uh, act obviously for protection against uh ransomware and other type of um you know blast radius when you want to store your backup into a different AWS account with different encryption key, different uh, uh, type of access, or even a complete bunker for your backups <coughs> uh, away from from your production. So the bit that the um, old uh, offsite backup tape now you can use another AWS account to do that, and we we'll recommend it. Yeah, so now you can do that with FSX
0: as well. Yep, I think that's all the. Exciting ones
2: Apart from ground station but yeah let's not talk about ground station because everyone loves to talk about ground station why
1: well, ground station is in Sydney um just remind everyone we have we have a ground station in Sydney and so you can now instead of having ec2 to talk to your ground station you can have an S3 bucket directly uh, getting fed from the data from your satellite and then, then process that data later. So a couple of integration between Ground Station and S3 instead of having to use EC2 now.
2: And if any of our listeners has a satellite and uh, is using Ground Station, (laughs) we'd love to hear from you. Uh, So make sure you get in touch.
0: On the AI NML side, the SageMaker is in Savings Plan and has some price reductions. Um, always good. Just keep in mind, the Savings Plan um, assumes that you're running things for 24 hours a day. So if you don't, then uh, have a good look whether or not it is actually cheaper for you to use that. And you can trigger your SageMaker from EventBridge.
2: And EventBridge is one ring to rule them all. Now, but and that is, is basically where it's heading, right? Event across accounts,
1: across regions. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 Look out for equipment. So it's now, now GA. Uh, so this is the tool, the um, service for um, collecting up your uh, equipment logs from sensors and on your equipment, and uh, they'll apply um, machine learning models to find anomalies, essentially. So it's now GA. Yep.
0: That was the last of the lookouts. To go GA. I think we've now had all the ones that they mentioned.
2: Announced to reinvent. Yeah. For Amazon Forecast.
1: You can now display the estimated time it will take to complete uh, his his workflow. So it's kind of forecasting for forecast. That's uh, quite interesting. Yeah. Wow!
2: Oh, wow! It's an in- it's a, it's an inception moment. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So to plan your cost, and the plan, the time it will take to uh, process the data.
2: Can I have a cup of coffee and come back. Is there anything in other cool stuff?
1: Uh, workspace with webcam. That's pretty cool. You can have a webcam uh, directly through your workspace. So use uh, the different Zoom and all the product you, you use, uh, connect it back to your uh, own laptop with the workspace uh, software running and it. That's, that's good.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. And smart card as well. So webcam and smart card. So um, Workspace get better and better
2: couple of um, announcements around interactive video service, IVS. I've uh, got CloudWatch Metrics now and um, support for recording live streams to Amazon S3. So this, if you're using that, that might be of interest. So it's only available in uh, Virginia, Oregon
1: and Ireland at the moment. Uh, but right. you, know, you can use um, Open Broadcaster software, OBS, and then stream that and stream to the world, a bit like mm-hmm. people do on YouTube. But now you can store on S3 at the same time. Excellent
2: couple of announcements around connect uh amazon connect launches audio device settings for the custom control panel the, sorry the contact control panel and i don't know what that means um amazon connect allows contact center managers to configure agent settings in the custom contact control panel so they've made a couple of uh, enhancements to the contact control panel so if you know what that is and you use connect then now you know that there's two new things you can do
0: awesome
1: um, couple of announcements with Cloud9, uh, who support Amazon Linux 2. Uh, I wonder why it didn't support Amazon Linux 2 before, but, um, yeah, Cloud9 is the IDE you can run in, in Cloud, uh, becoming a little bit redundant when you use now Cloud Shell, but yeah, whatever. Um you can use a bit of both. Um and then the one I found interesting though is a CloudWatch metric stream. Uh we you can stream AWS uh CloudWatch metrics to a partner uh in real time. Um so it's a bit expensive. It's like uh, uh Zero zero three cents per one thousand metric update. Um, so that can go very, very quickly and use a Kinesis data firewalls in the back end. But you can send your CloudWatch to Datadog, Dynatrace, New Relic, Splunk, and Sumo Logic uh, to have that complete view um, directly from CloudWatch. So um, obviously there is more cost with that, but um, that's uh, interesting. Um, people were doing all the things before.
0: I'm actually curious how that actually compares to when something like New Relic your CloudWatch data, because that is often very expensive as well.
1: Yeah, the number of API calls. So um, yeah, it would be interesting to check that. It's available in all regions. So I'm sure uh, all these uh, data providers are going to be very happy to be able to receive more data from uh, different AWS uh, uh,
2: accounts.
0: Once in a while, AWS has to make them happy to instead of just stealing their customers. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, speaking of stealing customers, um, not that it's about stealing customers, but Grafana enterprise upgrade is for, um, Amazon managed service for Grafana. So you can now get, you can now get Grafana enterprise. It includes open distro for Elasticsearch integration. Um, so two very, very well established open source projects. Um, both uh, in managed service form um, and with the ability now to use the enterprise version of Grafana in that managed version. So, if you're in those stacks, uh, that may be of interest.
0: Speaking of graphs and stuff like that, moving graphs in CloudWatch dashboard. Quite a few built those yet?
2: No. I never use that.
0: So, you can now have animation in your <sighs> graphs, which for <sighs> dashboards and stuff is obviously Great. possibly quite nice. Um, I haven't looked at it because, hey, we're all working from home, so who has dashboards anymore?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that is, that is neat because, I mean, CloudWatch dashboards have been pretty basic for a long time. So having a bit of, uh, you know, this, it's the uh, what the guy who was ex-Army used to refer to as o- o- Officer Fascination Lights. Um, you kind of need, uh, you know, some razzle-dazzle in your dashboard so that the the boss when he comes around or she comes around goes oh wow that's that's really good whereas if it's just like static graphs they're going to go what's this boring sh- up on the big screen but if it's you know some numbers are bouncing around or you know bars are getting bigger and smaller that's what you need that's what you need to get the boss engaged
0: very good the possibly last one to mention is the Nimble Studio which I haven't looked at too closely because it's building a creative studio in the cloud and allows you, seems aimed at designers, which is very much not me. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's basically a very big workspace where you can run all the different products you need, uh, like Weka and Cumulo and nice DCV protocols with GD4 uh, the NVDI.
2: That's a lot of acronyms, JM. I'm just going to use an acronym. Ac- yeah, yeah. So, but it's 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 video, right? It's 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 video. It's a, like a it's like a collaborative environment for your video production studio. Yeah. If if you've got one, and if you've got one, have a look at it. And you
1: can share that with obviously NFS and SMB um, data, so people can work remotely, obviously, to be able to continue to do that. Um,
2: and there's a little, there's a natty little video that introduces it if you want to go and look at it.
0: Yeah. The only issue I did read about that I saw some people complain is that to get access to it it goes through AWS SSO which is fine in itself but the SSO needs to be in the same region as the studio. So... Right. If you have your SSO here in Sydney you better wait until it's available here before you start using it. Oh, wait. that it actually is available in Sydney. <laughs>
2: That's all we care about.
0: Sydney is one of the five um, regions.
2: That's because, that's because we're big in the, video, the um, movie industry now, The movie industry you know? is all
1: in Sydney, yes. Oh, wow, or, or the Gold Coast.
0: Which is probably also why it is available in five regions and the Los Angeles local zone.
2: Yeah. There you go, exactly, yeah.
0: That is a snob to most regions. You're not as important as a local zone.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. Shall we wrap up with the nanos quickly?
0: I can go first with mine. The AWS console mobile application at support for Osaka region. Um, The Osaka region has only existed for about 10 years or whatever.
2: (laughs) Yep, yep. I think a slow clap. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: But you you needed three a very a very bit zone for that that's that's why it just commit recently yeah a lot of us announcement for osaka came this month because of that uh, a z
0: yeah but adding it to the app is just, just like
2: it's it's a bit of a um yes it's underwhelming um i i'm gonna be sort of really I just had to look through this quickly and pick something out and I'm I'm being very mean to Cyprus, Belgium and Portugal. Amazon Connect reduced, reduced their telephony rates for those three countries by a bit and um, yeah it's not really worthy of a huge announcement I don't not think. Not
1: for us in Australia for sure yeah. Mine was the Amazon Linux 2 uh, for Cloud9. I mean, come on. Everybody uses Amazon Linux 2 for the last three years or four years. W- what have we been waiting
2: for?
0: Except yeah. for AWS. <laughs> cool.
2: My pizza is calling.
0: Your pizza is calling. That puts us at the end of the episode, which means I get to quickly thank our sponsors. The user group's gold sponsor, Enabler, and our silver sponsors, AC3, CMD, and DoIt International. And of course to make sure you can go to your pizza as quickly as possible. I want to thank my fellow hosts, JM.
1: (laughs) Hey everyone. Thank you for listening in to us and looking forward for the next month.
0: And Guy.
2: Thanks guys. It's been huge as always.
0: And just a quick reminder that everything we discuss is in the show notes. So you can find links there. You can find show notes either in your podcast player or by going to our website at malp.awsug.org.au slash podcast. And while you're on our website, Remember to join the Slack and you can talk to us and come to the meetups because they're fun. And then, lastly, I want to thank all of you for listening and let's say goodbye.
1: Goodbye, everyone. Bye.